Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Calvary Church this sunny-ish kind of 4th of July morning. Um, if you're new, we're so glad that you're here with us today to worship. And if you're not new and you've been here <clears throat> every Sunday since you were a toddler wrapped in swaddling clothes, uh, we are glad. There, ha- there are some people who have been here almost every Sunday since they were toddlers wrapped in swaddling clothes. Lying in a bassinet somewhere. Uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, we have some bulletins at the door. What we're trying to do here at Calvary Church is we're trying to, together, build a body of disciples who personally and collectively reach and impact others with God's love and truth. Building a body who are a body of disciples who then do more than just sit on the blue chairs, kind of feeding ourselves, that we're actually trying to make an impact and serve others and love others. Um, and impact others individually and collectively with God's love and truth. And so we've structured a lot of things to try to help facilitate that, and we've talked a lot about that since January over the summer. We have a few opportunities that we've already shared with you about ways that collectively we're going to try to reach and impact others with God's love and truth by sending some teams out, and we're excited about that. As the fall kicks off, we're going to have more uh, opportunities, environments, and situations to build and grow as disciples and opportunities to make an impact and opportunities for you to be part of the body as we kick off community groups again. Uh, We have our men's gathering, our men's night going throughout the summer in kind of an abbreviated way. So lots going on to still be part of it throughout the summer. And so if you want to know what all that opportunities are or what's coming up or how you can be part of it, we would love for you to grab that bulletin. Again, we try to be purposeful in that. And so that's a great uh, first step for some of you to try to find out maybe where God would have you make the next step. We'd also love to know you're here. And so if you're looking for a church home or if you're just trying to figure out what Christianity is about or faith or if we can help you or pray for you or connect you to others here or just be of any service to you, wherever you find yourself this morning, there's a way for you to have a little rip-off part of the card and you can fill out your name and we have these brown, blackish boxes around. It is not the Pizza Hut suggestion box. Uh, that's the offering box. But you can go ahead and put that visitor card in the offering box, a hard copy, or we have a QR code you can use. But uh, we can't help you if we don't really know you're here. And we want to be a church that's helpful to one another as a body that's caring, that's known, that's connected, that's growing as disciples and making an impact with others around us. So we're glad you're here. A big way that we want to grow as disciples is pressing into what God has for us. And so what we do this is no surprise. Guess what we do every Sunday? We have a sermon. If you've ever been to church before, you're like, I didn't even need you to tell me that. But we do. And so we're going to do that uh, in a minute. I really am grateful for the last song um, that we sung. And it comes right out of Scripture. And I'm grateful for it because I know some of your stories. And, uh, you know, I've shared some. I think there's, there's a lot of Christians, a lot of people uh, who are just struggling in things going on. There's a lot of young adults, a lot of folks in their 20s and teens who are just struggling with worry or unknowns or unsettledness, and it's something that's pretty common. Um, And there's a book I referenced a long time ago called Even If. I know a few of you have read it. I'm rereading it. I really appreciate it, Even If, Even If. And one of the points in there is, hey, sometimes, you know, we can focus so much on all the things we don't know, and a good way to help just ground ourselves is what we sang about, gratitude, gratitude, and this idea that gratitude to God can lead to contentment, and then contentment can then lead to worship, 
But if you're like me, sometimes we spend a whole lot of time thinking about all the things we don't have that we wish we had, instead of thanking God for all the many, many things he's already given us. And I'm probably not alone. There's probably some of you who spent an inordinate amount of time over the past weeks and months just focusing on what you don't have that you wish you did have. And that could be a very meaningful thing. But amidst all that, we sometimes miss a moment to think about all that we do have that God has given to us in his kindness and his mercies. Here's the verse that this song came out of, out of Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so what I'd love, if you're a Christ follower this morning, um, and even if you're not, all of us have something in our lives for which we can be grateful for. All of us have a, a blessing, a mercy, a kindness, the faithfulness of God. And so we're going to pray, but I'm just going to give us all uh, 10 seconds, 15 seconds of quiet. And will you just think of one blessing <clears throat> that God has given to you? And just thank him for his faithfulness to you, and then we'll pray. Father, it's an incredible thing to think about that every single morning there is a new way that you show grace to us and a continuing way that you show grace to us. There are new mercies and blessings that you give to us every morning. You sustain us. You give us another day of life. Um, forgive us, Father, for the times that we're so uh, unaware <clears throat> and ungrateful for what you give to us. Forgive me for the times that I spend more time uh, discouraged about what I wish you would give to me um, instead of thanking you for the many ways you've been kind. You love us, you care for us, you sustain us, you don't abandon us. Sometimes you make us wait and you're silent. But even in that silence, Father, you're still sovereignly controlling everything. Um, and you are good. And you never act towards us in a way that does not flow out of the goodness of who you are and your love for us. And so, Father, maybe that can bring encouragement to some of us this morning. Father, maybe it can just be a truth that we already know that doesn't necessarily instantly encourage us, but that we can just believe and reaffirm. You're kind and you're good to give us your word. You don't stay hidden from us. You allow us to know who you are and who you want us to be and how you work on us to do that. And we have a chance to open up your word, Father. We have a chance in the next few minutes to hear directly from you words that were written a long time ago that you wanted written a long time ago that can impact us and shape us today. And so uh, thank you <clears throat> for this opportunity in this moment. And will the Holy Spirit please work for your purposes in this time to continue to shape us and grow us into the people that you would have us be uh, so that we may honor and glorify Jesus, our King. Amen. <clears throat> well, you're probably 
uh, sick of hearing me at different moments and different days tell you all about my past life work experiences. So I won't bore you too much because it's like, wow, wow, whatever. But as you know, if you've been around Calvary for a few years, right, I've, I've done a few different things in my time and in my life. And <clears throat> in many of those prior or even side gigs that I've done, uh, there's been something that I was supposed to do, some way that I was supposed to act because of the relationship that I had with my employer, right? I was in a relationship with my employer, and so because I was working for that person, because I was connected to that <clears throat> company or individual, there was a way that I was supposed to act and some things I was supposed to do when I was a young whippersnapper rolling through the streets of Trumbull, Connecticut in my amazing Dodge Colt that's about the size of this communion tray right here with my Ray-Ban sunglasses on, listening to the soundtrack for Top Gun, the original, <clears throat> on a cassette tape. It's probably worth like $1,000 on eBay right now, and it's sitting in a landfill, right? I, I would get up early in the morning, I'd go to work, painted some in the summers uh, for a local company run <clears throat> by somebody who some of you may know, and it was, the company was known as Heritage Painting. Heritage painting. We had some competitors, but those competitors could not rise up to heritage painting. As a painter at heritage painting, here is what was expected of you because you were an employee of those people. And if you've never painted before, you're going to be like, bro, I don't know what he's talking about. But here was one thing. We never, ever, ever touched a paint sprayer because that was like satanic, right? At Heritage Painting, if you were going to paint a house, you got a brush or you got a roller and you painted. And that is the way that someone who was employed by heritage painting was supposed to act. That was something that was supposed to flow from you. You painted with a brush or you painted with a roller the way that God intended you to because if he didn't want you to use a brush, he wouldn't have created one, right? <clears throat> then I got a little older and I did some other things and some other things. And then uh, I, you know, kind of uh, uh, not dabbled, but I, I went to law school and practiced law for a few years. I worked at a firm in Jacksonville, Florida, which was a very small boutique, um, <clears throat> pretty sharp firm known as the Bedell Firm. It used to be Bedell, Dittmar, DeVault, Pillins, and Cox, but when Kentucky Fried Chicken went to KFC, everybody decided they need to shorten everything. So it became the Bedell Firm. The Bedell Firm had been around in northern Florida for generations and generations. If you got in trouble with the Popo or you got in trouble in your corporation need help, you went to the Bedell Firm. At the Bedell Firm, whether you were a partner or a summer clerk, and I've shared this many years ago, but man, the one thing you did because of that relationship with the firm, the one way you were, one thing of several you're supposed to do is whenever you left the building, you always put on your suit jacket. I don't know why, but whenever you left that building to go to lunch, to get a coffee, to go to the courthouse, right? You put on your suit coat and you went, you were going because you were a Bedell lawyer. And that's what Bedell lawyers do. That's what flows from that relationship. Probably the, well, I don't know, but, well, yeah, maybe one of the most fun jobs I've ever had was I shared a couple of months or so ago. During COVID, my buddy's Chick-fil-A was swamped. He needed help. My son was working there. I'm like, bro, I'll come up there on my day off and fry some chicken. I loved it. But, and you know this if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, which you should have been because it's like the Garden of Eden of chicken that if you work for Chick-fil-A, one thing that flows from that relationship 
is whenever anybody says to you, man, thank you for the sweet tea, what do we say in return? My pleasure. (laughs) Even when it's not. (laughs) Don't tell them I said that. Uh Right? When you're in a relationship with a corporation, with a company, there are expectations about what flows from that, whether you're painting in the summer, whether you're working at firms, whether you're work, whatever you're doing, there's some way you're supposed to act. And the question is, because it's no different for those of us who are in a relationship with God, for those of us who are in a relationship with our Heavenly Father, what, is there anything that is supposed to flow from that relationship? Is there any way that we people who are in a relationship with God are supposed to act and conduct ourselves and do because of that relationship. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about it as we continue and actually wrap up our series in 1 John today. What we do at Calvary is we open up a book of the Bible and we work our way through it. We've been working through 1 John. We're going to finish it today. And then next Sunday, we're going to do 2 John. Then the Sunday after that, we're going to do 3 John. And so we're going to work our way through these little letters of John. What we've already seen in 1 John, this letter is to remind Christians, if you've not been with us, the, the big idea is to remind people that, man, you've got fellowship and you've got a relationship with God. That Christians who had doubts about whether God loved them, whether they were doing the right things, believing the right things, had false teaching, trying to shake their faith. John, this senior citizen, writes this letter to these Christians to remind them, look, you've got this fellowship with a loving, caring God. And then over the past two weeks, we've seen two things that people who are in fellowship with God are to avoid or not be part of. If you've been with us, what we've seen kind of our first week is one thing that people who are, who are in fellowship with God are to avoid is sin. That if and because of our relationship with God, we avoid sin. Last week, what John talked about is something that Christians are to be aware of, people in fellowship with God are to watch out for and to avoid is false teaching. Well, this week, John's going to kind of flip it and he's going to say, okay, here's something that you should be doing. Here's something you should be known for. Here's something that should flow from your relationship with God. So we're going to wrap up our series together thinking about that. And what we've seen throughout the book of John is John loops. Right? We, if you've not been with us, what we've talked about is most uh, of the Gospels, most of the letters, most of the Old Testament narratives, they flow linearly, chronologically, not John. John will talk about an idea, talk about another idea, then talk about the first idea, then talk about a second idea, and so he spirals. So what we're doing is pulling these ideas from various places in his letter. So today we're going to be in chapter 2, uh, verses 7 through 11, and 1 John 3 verses 11 through 18. So if you've got a Bible or device, open it up to 1 John, uh, and we're going to be in chapter 2 for part of it, and then chapter 3. So let's jump into it, and let's, th- you know, I use that phrase a lot. I remember this older, wiser pastor, well, yeah, older, wiser pastor that I worked for once. He's like, Peter, when you're preaching, don't say let's jump into something, because nobody likes to jump, because sometimes when you jump, you don't know where you're going to land or how you're going to land. So I apologize if I've created uncertainty in you. All that said, let's jump into the text and let's see what it says. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. As we think about, if you're a Christian, what should flow from the relationship that you have with God? Chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, 
It is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Here's what we've heard. Here's what John's doing. John's linking this idea with loving your brother with old commandments and new commandments. There's an old commandment, there's a new commandment, and somehow those are linked into this idea that you are to love your brother, that people who are in fellowship with God, right, one thing that flows, loving his brother. This idea of brother here, it's not just limited in gender. The idea, it's actually referring to another Christian. What John is doing is he's focusing on the way that people who are in a relationship with God should act towards other people who are in a relationship with God, in local bodies of believers. And he's saying the way that you should act is linked with this old commandment and this new commandment, and there's this idea of love linked there. So what, what are these commandments that he's talking about? What is this old commandment that John says sets up the way that people who are in fellowship with God should act and what should flow from that? The old commandment can either refer to one of two things. It refers to what these Christians have heard since the beginning of Jesus' teaching. So since you very first heard about Jesus, there are some things that he said that you've heard. Or, more likely, what it refers to is some stuff that was in the Old Testament. This commandment that was written to the people of God in the Old Testament about how they should act towards other people. And an example of that is Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19.18. You shall take no vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, right, against other people who are God's people, but you should love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is this old commandment given to the people of God in the Old Testament about the way that they are supposed to treat each other, about what is supposed to flow from the relationship that they have with God out towards other people. And what was supposed to flow in the Old Testament is this idea of, hey, y'all got to love each other. Love each other. Then, when we talk about this idea of this new commandment, right, what Jesus did throughout his ministry is he took this concept and he took this idea from the Old Testament and he restated it. He cut and pasted it. He, he reestablished it. In John, the guy who wrote 1 John, wrote the biography of Jesus, and this is Jesus talking. A new commandment I give to you, right? He's saying, look, you heard it was an old thing, but I'm still making it a thing for you today. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, John is, a, in a way, a good writer, because in case we got confused with old commandments, new commandments, he's going to come back and he's going to punch us with it one more time in chapter 3 and make sure we don't miss what's supposed to flow from us towards other people. He reiterates this idea as he loops back to it in chapter 3, verse 23, where he says this, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another. 
that we love one another. Here's what we see. We've seen that someone who is in fellowship with God is a person who avoids sin. We've seen that someone who is in fellowship with God is careful about false teaching and avoids false teaching. And today we see the thing that should flow from somebody who is in a relationship with God is that someone in fellowship with God loves other Christians. Someone in fellowship with God loves other Christians. Now, this does not mean that we don't love people who aren't Christians. There are a slew of verses of the Bible that suggest that idea. But for right now, what John's just focusing on is, yeah, you guys got to do that, but, but you got to make sure that you're loving one another. Right? His focus is on people who are part of a body with other people who have different stories than them, different backgrounds from them, different socioeconomic status from each other, different ethnicity from each other, different political positions from each other, different preferences as to worship styles from each other. And what he's trying to say is when you guys all get together as a body who is unified in the worship of Jesus, but you have all these things that are distinct about you, how are you supposed to do life together? And what he says is, man, if you're in fellowship with God, then you've got to love each other. You know that, right? That's nothing new. Some of you are like, man, you better get your money back from Dallas Seminary because that that wasn't that profound. right? We know that, but the question is not necessarily whether we know that. The question is, well, how are we doing at it? How are we doing at it? Today, as you think about 2022, this moment in our culture. If you had this check, you know, check a box with options. What box would you check about how well Christians are loving each other? In 2022, when somebody who is outside of a church looks into a church or looks into the state of Christianity in the West, in our country, are they going to be like, yeah, those people love each other well? Is that what's going to be flowing out from groups of Christians to other people? Are there ways in 2022 in which Christians broadly can love each other better? Broadly, the question is not whether we know this. A bunch of you probably already know it. The question is broadly, how well are we doing it? That, that's an interesting question. It's a question that we could pontificate about for hours and hours, but at the end of the day, It's kind of a little bit of an empty question because debating how well other people are loving each other never really moves the ball forward. Because when you boil it down one step deeper, the question is not when you sit in your blue chair and look at other Christians and other churches, how well are they doing? The question is, when you sit in your blue chair, how well are you doing? loving other Christians. The question is, when I sit in my blue chair, or I as part of this body, how well am I doing loving other Christians? See, see we get caught up in Christians aren't doing this, Christians aren't doing this, but you know what, man? It, it, it's a way to dodge the missile of how well we're doing. Seen Maverick, if you haven't, here's a spoiler alert. At some point in the movie, they hit some flares because there's smoke in the air. Woo! Smoke in the air, man! Smoke in the air! Hit the flare! 
right? And the flares go and the big explosions. You know what? The, the, the issue of how well Christians are doing, sometimes we get wrapped up in that, but that's a big distraction. That's flares blowing up things that don't really move us forward. What moves us forward is how well I'm doing loving you and how well you as a Christian, if you are a Christian, are doing loving other Christians. What are some ways that you personally would be like, hey, man, here's, a, here's an example of how I'm loving some other Christians well, right? I mean, if you're in a family and you have family members who are Christians, <clears throat> if you're a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa and you have kids in your family who are Christians, how does that look like? If your spouse is a Christian, how well are you loving them? How well kids, if your parents are Christians, how well are you loving them? How well are you, what are some ways that you're loving people well around you? And then on the flip side, and let's be honest, and you don't have to raise your hand. We don't have a mic up here to pass around, so it's okay. What are some areas in which the way that you are acting, or the way that I've acted this week, the way that you've acted this past month, is anything but loving to another Christian? Are there any of those areas in our story? And if you are confused, I'd say, man, start with your family. Husbands, husbands, let's start with you. How well are you modeling it? How well are you modeling it as a husband, the way that you speak to your wife, should you both be Christians? And even if you're not both Christians, the way that you care for your wife, the way that you serve your wife, how's that going? What are your kids who are in the back of the minivan seeing about what's going on in your relationship? Wives, sorry, you don't get a hall pass. How well are you doing loving your husband? Wives, how well are you doing serving your husband? Dads, right? There's this verse in the Bible that talks about don't exasperate your children. It is easy as a father to act in a way because we're frustrated, because we're tired, because we are used to conducting ourselves one way on the job site or the office or the cop car, and we sometimes come into our family and we bring that same level of directness. But instead of bringing clarity, all it brings is frustration for our kids because we're putting burdens on expectations on them that they're not able to carry. And we're not helping discipline them. What we're doing is exasperating them, which isn't loving. Dads, how you doing? Being passive and disengaged isn't loving. I'll tell you that right now. Sorry that you're tired from work. I am. I'm tired from work. I'm sorry that all you want to do is sit on the couch and watch the Yankees cruise to victory one more time. But you know what? Your five-year-old wants to go to the park and go to the swings. What are you choosing to do? Now, I'm not saying you can never sit on the couch and watch the baseball game, but I'm just saying, man, what are some ways in which we've been anything but loving? What are some ways in which we can grow in being loving? John throws this broad, this 
this idea, this, this thing that flows from relationship with God out there. And then what he does is he's going to give us some specific examples of it. He's going to help kind of give us some object lessons to see what this is like so we can understand it better. There was a, he's going to tell us some people that look like that we should emulate or we shouldn't. They're back whenever, if you know anything about Michael Jordan or watch the documentary, Michael Jordan, basketball player, uh, there's a documentary about his story on Netflix that's really good. But man, there was this day when all you ever heard anybody saying is like, I want to be like Mike, right? There was this slogan that came out where Michael Jordan was in commercials and all these kids were running around like, I want to be like Mike, right? It was all about, I want to be like Mike. I want to be like Mike. Well, God's going to give us some person that we should not be like, and God's going to give us some person that we should be like. Here's the first person that he says, hey, when you think about loving, When you think about what that looks like in your life, here is a person that does not represent it well. Here is somebody that you should not be like. And he says this in verses 11 through 12, which are behind me, but you can check it on the Bible too. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, chapter 3, 11, 12, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who is of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. You can read the story in Genesis 4 this afternoon as you're sitting out in the sunshine, but here's the cliff notes of it. Both Cain and Abel brought sacrifices to God. God approved of Abel's sacrifices. He found it to be pleasing and acceptable, but he did not approve of Cain's. And man, that sent Cain into this spiral. Because Cain, as he's suggesting here, right, Cain became, uh, his own deeds were evil, his brother's righteous. Well, Cain goes into the spiral of jealousy and envy. And, and, and he was upset that, that the, his brother's sacrifices were accepted, his wasn't. Cain was upset that he didn't get the kudos, he didn't get the attaboys, he didn't get the, you're doing great. He didn't get what he wanted out of that moment. And all he could focus on is what he thought he deserved. He had an expectation of what he thought would be done towards him, of what he was going to get in that moment. And when he didn't get that in that moment, he became angry and he acted in a way that is completely the opposite of love. He acted out of hate. He acted out of anger. And that led to him actually murdering his brother. But the spark that started all of that, that led to the complete opposite of love, was Cain making that moment all about himself. He made it all about himself. He made it about what he thought he was entitled to, what he expected to receive, the praise he wanted to get, me, me, me. And when he didn't get that, When it wasn't about him, he acted in a way that was completely opposite of love. That's not what we should be like. That's not what love is. And so what we see from this is we think about what it means to love. Loving others is not about you or what you get from it. Loving others is not about you or what you get from it. little side note. Little footnote, that's why lust and love are two totally different things. Lust, love, two totally different things. Because you know what lust is about? Lust is all about you. 
Lust is all about what you can get from it. And that's not love. So be very, very careful. Young adults, teenagers, single people in your 40s, when you're in a relationship and you're like, man, I'm in love. Well, maybe you're just in lust. Lust and love are very different things because lust is all about you. But love, loving others is not about you nor what you get. And so let's kind of press into that a little further. Here's what I sometimes do, maybe you sometimes do, we sometimes do. We sometimes wrongly condition our love for other people upon whether they act towards us the way we think we should be treated. We sometimes, maybe even not consciously, maybe subconsciously, determine, okay, am I going to express love to other people? And in that moment, this little goes through our brain of, well, are they treating me the way I want to be treated? What are they doing for me? How are they acting towards me? Are they being nice to me? Are they loving me? And we run it through the rubric. And based on how that's all answered, based on whether we think they're acting towards us the way we think we should, they should, we then determine, okay, so I'll love them. Or I'll, it, it's a transaction. Love is not a transaction. When I go to Lysio's Meatland, that's a transaction. Go to Licio's Meatland, I walk in the door, I say hey to Charlie, I say hey to Margaret, I say hey to Jimmy. It's awesome. It's like cheers, right? I go there and I say, I would like some of your delicious New York strips. I don't say that anymore because like, like, I got a Ford excursion that costs about $22,000 in gas every time I fill it up. So I go in there, I'm like, you got any bologna laying around, right? <laughs> and I don't even mean the Licio's homemade bologna. I like mean kind of rolled off a truck somewhere, right? So when I go to Licio's, I order some delicious food, okay? If they give me what I want and the delicious food, I will then go to the register and give them my money. It's a transaction. They giving me what I want, so I will give them what they want. But if they, all they hand to me is an empty Licio's plastic bag with no bologna in it, I'm like, bro, you ain't giving me what I want. I'm not gonna give you anything because the bag's empty. You're not giving me what I expected to get. You're not giving me what I think I deserve. You're not giving me what I want, so I'm not going to give anything to you. Many times, subconsciously, the reason that there's conflict in your homes, the reason that there's conflict with you in a church, the reason there was a fight with you in a community group, the reason you can't get along with those Christians at work is because you've made love a transactional thing. And if somebody gives you what you want, you will then give to them love. What John is saying to the inspiration of God is, nope. That's what Cain's all about. Cain's all about him, him, him. Because what happens, what happens in your story? What should happen in your story when there's another Christian in your life who doesn't give you what you want? What happens when there's another Christian in your life who doesn't treat you the way you think you should be treated? What happens when they are not kind to you? What happens when they didn't call to check in on you? What happens when they forgot that your parent was sick? What happens when there's an expectation of how you want to be treated that they don't fulfill? What do you do then? Well, you know what John says? You know what God says? You love them. You love them. Because loving others is not about you nor what you get. And people who are in fellowship with God, what flows from that fellowship is that they love other people.
people. Entitlement of what you want other people to give to you can sometimes wrongly keep you from giving love to them. A sense of entitlement of what you expect or want or desire other people to give to you can wrongly keep you from giving love to them. I'm telling you, the reason for some of you who are either here today or watching live online or however many 70, 80, hundreds will watch later next week, the reason there's conflict in your marriage is because you're keeping score. You're keeping score. And you did these two things for your spouse, but they've only done one thing for you, so you're going to wait, and it's killing you. It's not going to move the ball forward. I am sorry that you have to change every diaper. Husbands, you should not make your wife change every diaper. Wives, you should not make your husband change every diaper. Somebody's got to empty the dishwasher. I hate to tell you, well, not me, because my dishwasher's broken. (laughs) Somebody's got to wash the dishes, right? And you do what I do. You're like... I mean, I'm not trying to say anything, but I've emptied the dishwasher the past two nights. I'm going to lay here and watch Formula One on Netflix, and maybe Casey will get up and empty the dishwasher. And she always does because she's like Jesus. (laughs) But maybe some of you are not married to a wife like Jesus, and they don't. And then you get mad because you're keeping score. And t- I'm just telling you, it's funny, it's funny. Ha, ha, ha. Some of you had a fight because you feel like you're the only person that ever takes the dog for a walk. Some of you had a fight because you feel like you're the only person in your family who takes the trash out. Some of you have had a fight because you feel like you're the only person that fills up the gas tank. Why can't somebody else? And you know what? Yeah, the person's not acting towards you the way that you think they should, but Jesus is like, it don't matter. It don't matter. You need to act to them the way that you should. Some of you need to write down Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, and read it every single morning. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, and read it every single morning. This is, when I do premarital counseling, this is one of the nuggets that, man, hopefully some of those folks walk away from based out of this. The verse says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but consider the interests of others more important than yourselves. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but consider the interests of others more important than yourselves. If some of you in your marriage and in your relationships and in your family would focus on loving the other person more than you loved yourselves, the stress level would go down. It would. You may not be treated the way that you expect to be treated in every moment, but if you went into marriage expecting to be treated the way you think you should be treated in every moment, ooh, you did not get good premarital counseling. John doesn't stop there. He gives some more insights about what is involved in loving. He told us what not to do, and he's about to tell us who we should be like, who should be the model. And the model's not Michael Jordan. The model's somebody else. He's given us an example of who to follow. Verse 16 of chapter 3. By this we know love. In other words, if you want to know what love looks like, if you want to know what it looks like for you to love, if you want to look like somebody who models love, right, by this we know love that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. What John is saying is if you want to know what love is, if you want the example of what love is, look at Jesus. He makes this point later when he loops again and he spirals back to it, chapter 4. 
verse 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know love, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest, right? In this, the love of God was made manifest. In this, you can see what love is supposed to be. God has shown us what love is supposed to be. God has exemplified what you as a follower of God are supposed to be doing when you think about what it means to love other people. That's what's all wrapped up in this word manifest among us. In this, now I've lost my place because I went over there. The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What John is telling us in those two verses is this. Jesus was the model of love. And he showed love by giving up his life for us. He showed what it means to love because he was willing to give up anything and everything for us. The Father, in this verse we just read, showed love by sending Jesus, by sending, by releasing Jesus. The Father showed love by giving up something that was so important and meaningful to him by giving up something for us. The example of what you should look like and I should look like when we're loving other people is the example of what the triune God shows us about love, what we see from the Father and what we see from the Son in these verses whose love was linked, was shown by giving up something sacrificially, by being willing to suffer a cost by giving up something for someone else. They showed love, they modeled love because they sacrificially and in a way that was cost them something, gave up something meaningful to themselves for someone else. The father gave up the son for someone else. Jesus gave up all of his rights to his rights his life, his comfort, his attaboys, gave it up. Because in order to love me and to love you, that's what it looked like for him. The giving of something costly, sacrificially for the good of somebody else. Loving others requires a willingness to lose something so that someone else can gain something. Loving others requires you to be willing to lose something so that another Christian in your life can gain something. What are some things that maybe God will ask you to be willing to lose in order to love somebody else? Time. Time. Man, when we want to love other people and we want to give to them, that's going to cut into our schedule. Our convenience, our right to be right. I, I remember I, this phrase has always stuck with me, and if the person's here listening, I apologize. I usually clear things, but this isn't the moment. Um, something that's always stuck with me is a, an individual who's lost a spouse 
shared with me a few years ago that, man, you know what? If, if, if they could rewind the clock, the one thing they would do differently is they would just not worry about having to be right all the time. Because this is my take on that, not what they said, right? But I heard that, and I can relate to that because I spend a lot of conflict. I engage wrongly in a lot of unnecessarily static because I'm doing it with Casey because I want to be right. You know what loving others means? Like, man, you just got to give up the right to be right. Hey, does it really matter whether you should put oil into the spaghetti water that's boiling or not? No, honestly. You fought over that. My grandma said always put it in. Yeah, well, my grandma from Sicily said it's a wives' tale. And it's now it's like, who's right about whether to throw a little olive oil in the... And we fight over it, and then we don't talk. Not we, but you we. <laughs> collectively. We collectively fight over it. When our spouse is on their deathbed, we will not give a flip about whether you should put olive oil in the water. And we will have wasted nights and hours that we could have spent just caring for each other and laughing because we were fighting over the stupidest things because we as individuals are often so unwilling to give up our right to be right. God knows who's right. God knows whether it's going to help your spaghetti to put some olive oil. Who cares? To love each other well, we got to be willing to give up our time, our convenience, our right to be right, our schedules, our stuff, our agenda. Is there a way that you could love someone better by giving something up for them? Today, is there someone in your life, another Christian in your life? Again, the Bible talks a ton about loving non-Christians, so I'm not trying to minimize that because we got to run that through the grid as well. Because if all we are are a bunch of people who are really loving to each other but we're jerks to non-Christians, we're totally missing the boat. We ain't even in the right airport, close to the right terminal. It's a both and. It's a both and. But today, what Jesus wants us to focus on how we're doing with each other, with other Christians, with whom we're relationships. Is there a way that you today, this Sunday before the 4th of July, could love someone better by giving something up for them? Is there something that you are holding on to that is keeping you from richly loving somebody the way that you might be able to? And I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here. I'm going to ask David and Dom, two of our elders, to come on up here. And John leaves us with one more thought to make sure that we're loving as effectively as we could be. And here's the last thought, verse, chapter 3, verse 18. <clears throat> it says this, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Little children, Right, it's a sweet, it's a dad. He's like, hey, y'all come here. Come here. Y'all come here. I remember doing that with my kids. They'd all be crazy. Yeah, I'll say, whoa, shh, slow down. Come here. Just want to talk. Look me in the eye. And, and John, through the inspiration of Jesus, is doing that to you and to me this morning. Hey, come here. Look me in the eye. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or in truth. 
Here's the third point this morning. Loving others requires acting, not just nice talking. All your nice talk about how much you love that person, if there is not an action that comes out of that, who cares? That's what he says. He's like, man, some of y'all are just talking about how much you love them, but you ain't done a thing out of love towards them. Loving others requires acting, not just nice talking. This morning, we have an opportunity now for those of us who believe in Jesus, right, to remember as a body, as a group of people who are supposed to love each other, we have an opportunity to remember the love that Jesus had for us. We have a chance to do something tangible in the moments when you doubt where is God, in the moments when you wonder why is he silent, in the moments when you're thinking, does he still care, does he know what I'm going through? We have an opportunity as a body to do something to help each one of us strongly reaffirm and remember the fact that God is love and the loving God loves me. And what we can do this morning to remember and affirm in our own lives the love that God has for us is to remember the love that Jesus had for us by giving himself for us as a sacrifice. Because we were all, at some point in our life, out of a relationship with a loving God because we chose to be there. We were born into it, and then we made choices that reaffirmed it. We thought we knew better than God. And so we chased something else other than the love of God, and in his love, God chased you. And maybe you're not a Christian right now yet, but you know what? Maybe you're sitting here, and maybe this morning God's chasing you. Because our God is a loving God who chases after the things that he loves. He doesn't let them just run away. And when you, without even knowing it, were running, and maybe the way that you were running was religiosity and pride and legalistic arrogance, running, but you thought you were looking good, and God chased you. And he drew you to himself, and he didn't want you to experience his wrath. And so Jesus willingly said, Father, I will stand in their place. I will take what they deserve, put it on me. Put it on me so that they will never experience anything but love. And this morning, no matter what you're going through in your life, no matter what mercy you wish you were experiencing or what faithfulness of God you are experiencing, it's a chance for us to remind ourselves how deeply God loves us, has shown to us in Jesus. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're not, man, we just want you to think about what are you looking to for love today? What are you looking to for hope today? What are you looking to for confidence about your future today. For those of us who believe in Jesus, when you're ready, as you're ready, we'll invite you to come forward and the elders will hold a tray and you can get a prepackaged set of elements and then go back to your seat. And then when everybody is back at their seat, I will come back up and together we'll partake of the bread and the cup in remembering of Jesus. So when you're ready and ask for it, come forward to collect the elements, go back to your seats and wait. We'll then take them together and we'll sing a song or two and leave and worship. So when you're ready and as you're ready, come forward.